Theme music, please. Aloha, I'm Mick Calber. And I'm Bruce Omari. And you are... On Hawaiian Time! (laughs) On Hawaiian Time is a podcast where Bruce and I talk story about life unfiltered here on the Big Island. Welcome to another episode of On Hawaiian Time. Bruce is joining me from his Extreme Exposure Gallery in Hilo. How's it? And I'm at home in Leilani Estates with my lovely wife, Anne. Aloha. And our amazing producer, Tim. Hello. Today's guest is my cousin, Sage Takehiro. Sage is an English teacher at Kamehameha School in Keao. And she is also a member of the world-renowned Halau O Kekuhi, based right here in Hilo. Welcome, Sage. Thanks, guys and Anne. Hi, Sage. Welcome. Hey, welcome. A quick editor's note here. This is part two of our talk story with author Sage Takahiro. You can hear part one by listening to episode seven, but you don't have to listen to them in order for them to make sense. Without further ado, episode eight. Sage, what is your favorite place on the Big Island? What is your favorite? My favorite place on the Big Island? Um... YPO. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably my favorite place on the big island. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you, Bruce? Oh, it's got to be. I mean, there are three places on the the island that I really love. YPO is one of them. Summit of Mauna Kea is the other. And then Kilauea, of course, is. uh, Why, Bruce? Why why do you like Kilauea so much, Bruce? (laughs) Hmm. Let me think. <laughs> Has something to do with that orange stuff. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Kilauea. Um, you know, I, I, wh- one of the things I was going to ask, Sage, and, and when Bruce mentioned Kilauea, it reminded me of the 2018 eruption, and I was watching CNN. I was actually here on the island with Mick and Bruce, we were documenting it, and CNN was reporting, and they said, um, thousands of Hawaiians are being evacuated from their homes in the Leilani Estate subdivision. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know who was in the room with me, but they kind of cringed when the reporter yeah. said it that way. So my question at that time, and I kind of knew, but I'm always wanting clarification on things that I'm not familiar with. I said, well, what is Hawaiian, or who is Hawaiian? How is that 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 defined here in Hawaii genealogy because Bruce is what Bruce your third generation uh, from Big Island fourth fourth, fourth. and Anne your third third generation your but no no Hawaiian but no Hawaiian no so that's what I'm interested in so someone could be third generation. Uh, three generations of their family have born and grown up in Hawaii, but they're not considered Hawaiian, right? I would never consider myself Hawaiian. Okay. Yep. I'm local. I'm Hawaiian local. Hawaiian is such I'm an arbitrary word. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the, the problem comes, if you're from Kansas, you're a Kansan. It doesn't matter, you know, what your ethnic background is, but Hawaiian could refer to somebody that lives here, could refer to the race. It's usually referred to the race, right? That's where the confusion mm-hmm. comes. 
I think. If you're in New York for two weeks, you're a New Yorker. Exactly. That's my point. All you got to do is swear at people. That's, That's my it. point. Out your car window. You're yeah. a New Yorker. And honk Forget your horn. <laughs> but that's... No, here... Yeah. People, people who live here, like, aren't... If they're not Hawaiian, they're not participating in Hawaiian culture and loving Hawaiian culture and loving the places here. It doesn't... Um, not being Hawaiian doesn't take away from that. And our culture has actually grown so much and evolved so much because of people who are not Hawaiian, who have contributed to the academics and the language development and the songwriting and the teaching. Um, so I, I think that when you're inside of Hawaii, I, I think that people who are here, like, are not trying to be Hawaiian. They're just being who they are. And, and the Hawaiian is okay with anyone, really, as long as they are respectful to the place and the people. So... I don't, I don't think that... We have this word haole, which I think... I, I used to have a column in, in a local newspaper and someone from Maui wrote in and said that I was racist because I used the word haole. <laughs> oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I thought that was kind of weird because I think that in the past there has been racism against all kinds of races. Like all, I just think that generally the world has historically been a very racist place. And that racism came to Hawaii um, like any other trend, you know? And so my grandma, you know, my, my Japanese grandpa and my grandma fought all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and she would... Tell him things like, yeah, you fucking Jap. And, you know, <laughs> they would fight like that. <laughs> and it's not like, I don't know how to describe yep. it other than racism here, I don't think is da as dangerous as racism in other parts of the world. It may have been at one point. Um, like maybe when my, my dad was growing up in Honolulu, I know they had these kill holidays around the last yep. day of school, like all the holiday people would get beat up. Yep. My baby daddy also is, he was born in Massachusetts and he moved to Kau Kona when he was, um, actually they moved to Kona first and then they moved to Kau when he was really, really young. So he grew up in Kau being white, half Jewish, <laughs> half German. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so he had a hard time growing up. I think that it's just, but I think everyone faces that kind of racism here. I think that no matter what kind of race you are, you are embraced and you are hated. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and race is not necessarily a thing that we use to only discriminate we also use race as a thing to celebrate like if you if you start dating someone the first thing your friends are going to ask you are like oh what are they 
you know, and then you'll tell them what kind of mix the person is and they'll be like, ooh, you know, and then get, they'll get all excited. And um, so it's not it's not a racist thing, I don't think. We're racist, I think, in good in healthy ways and unhealthy ways. But I definitely don't think that the racism here is nearly as bad as other places. You know, I think you're right. When I first moved here, one of the things that I loved about this place was the diversity, the ethnic diversity. Yeah. You know, one of one of our favorite games is trying to figure out what people are, you know, Chinese, Filipino, you know, what, Hawaiian, Holly. But, you know, I've, I've been, I've lived in San Francisco. I've lived in Denver. I've lived in Chicago. And you know, it's it's um, it's different in in all those different places. Yeah. You know, and I don't see the the vitriol. I think it is for children. I think it can be mm-hmm. for children, like you said, kill Haldi Day. My son had a really hard time when he was in junior high. He low high, he low intermediate. But you mm-hmm. know, I think for adults, I see racism, but I don't feel I don't feel threatened by it. I don't feel it's ever been a big deal to me. I love the culture here in that way. You know. It's diverse. It's, this is actually the most ethnically diverse county in the United States. Did you know that? That's true. On the census, more people from Hawaii County claim more than one ethnic background than any other county yeah, in the United States. Totally. I mean, it, I'm, if you're a human being in 2020 and you're like 100% anything, really take a <laughs> DNA swab. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. could be Neanderthal. Could be an alien. Right. Because you look at human evolution and it's like none of us are 100%, you know. Not anymore. Balinese or whatever. Yeah. It's just unrealistic. No. People need to get over that. Are there any 100% Hawaiians anymore? Um... I think there may be some. Not many, right? A few, but not many. But the thing about the Hawaiian is um, that that blood quantum thing is has been imposed by the federal government. So back in 1910, when the Organic Act passed and people were doing homesteads like in Ohio and stuff, um, that applied to the territory as well, right? So Hawaii was a territory of the United States at the time. And so what Prince Kuhio did is he lobbied for the homestead under the Organic Act to be limited to people of Hawaiian ancestry. And the reason why is because Hawaiians never had this concept of land ownership. Whereas like in America, you go to school, you learn this song, right? This land is my land. This land is your land. And somehow all the little kids grow up thinking that whatever's below their feet belongs to them. That And that's really harmful for humanity to, to raise human beings to think that about their planet. And Hawaiians never thought that. Hawaiians always thought of the land as the leader and the the human as the servant. Mm. And so we never bought into that land ownership thing. And so Hawaiians are being Mm. displaced and they weren't able to feed themselves because they were sick and they were dying and stuff. And so what Kuhio did, he's like, all right, he didn't have a vote. 
because he was just a liaison. He was just a lobbyist. He, um, as as a representative of the territory, he didn't have a vote in the legislature, the, the U.S. legislature. So what he did is he went to Washington, and this is written in his biography. He went to Washington and he opened a gambling house. And he got all the politicians wasted. And they partied and they gambled. And he was famous for having this really awesome gambling house. Um, And so when he went to pitch his idea, he learned about them. So by getting them drunk and partying with them and getting to know them personally, he learned about them and he learned about their fears. And he understood that the United States was not on good terms with Japan. And so what he did was he said, hey, you guys, guess what? All those second generation Japanese who were born in Hawaii will be able to access homestead lands based on the Organic Act because they were born there. The only way you can prevent Japanese from having homestead lands, American homestead lands, is if you designate those homesteads to Hawaiians only. Mm. And they bought in. And so they did, they applied the blood quantum theory, which is the same process they use to determine the Native American reservations. And so they're like, okay, if you're 50% Hawaiian, meaning, you know, one parent is Hawaiian, a full-blooded Hawaiian or whatever, however they want to break it down percentage-wise, then you can apply for a homestead. And then later on down the road, they're like, okay, well, there are, there are barely, you know, Hawaiian, full-blooded Hawaiians anymore. So what are we going to do? So they made it, okay, well, 25%, you can inherit your homestead if you have 25% Hawaiian, right? So this is pre-DNA swap. So these percentages that the federal government based um, people off of, in order to determine their access to to native land, essentially is kind of like imaginary blood. Like it's like this imaginary theory of like how much Hawaiian are you, right? Or like how much Japanese are you or how much Italian are you? That whole process is obscene. It's Isn't it It's though? awful. It's just awful. It is. And then so you have these young kids growing up thinking like, oh, well, I'm, you know, only 10% Japanese. So they th- their identity then becomes shaped by sure. that imaginary blood quantum sure. that doesn't exist. And then you have a bunch of mentally ill people because they were never taught who they really are. Hmm. Sage, um... One of the things that I've struggled with here is pronouncing <laughs> Hawaiian terms, Hawaiian words, street names. I hate to laugh. <laughs> Mick but. and Bruce are laughing at me because they're always correcting me. It's um, for entertainment. And, <laughs> and I want to know the school where you teach at. Are you? Do you guys teach the Hawaiian language there? And can I come over there? 
<laughs> if you do, can we, can we drop, can you help drop Timmy? out please, of a class or two? <laughs> well, every every school teaches Hawaiian language. I think the difference between my school and public schools is that at Kamehameha, Hawaiian language is a requirement. Like it's a in order to graduate from Kamehameha, there are certain graduation requirements. English is one of them, but Hawaiian is also one of them. Mm. So you have to take a certain amount of years. I think it's two years of Hawaiian language. That's mandatory. They can t- take it either at middle school or high school. Is there a resurgence of the Hawaiian language here as of late? Well, or? there has been for sure. Mm-hmm. So maybe I need to <laughs> enroll in a, in a class at uh, University of Hawaii Hilo. There's free classes. <laughs> I can send you the link free. to the free cl- community classes. Really? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Tim failed at pronouncing a popular surf spot's name. <laughs> what? <laughs> he he said Pipe Line. <laughs> oh. No, no, I was totally set up. That yeah. was set up by Bruce. Bruce asked me to pronounce a bunch of Hawaiian names. And they were. I, he tricked him. He tricked what he me. Did. And okay. then, <laughs> but you know what? It wasn't very hard to trick him, was it? No. Well, after I tried to unsuccessfully pronounce a bunch of Hawaiian names, he said, okay, now pronounce this one. And he spelled it. He said, P I P E L I N E. So naturally, my brain was still thinking in, in Hawaiian words. And so I. It's a trick. So I said, ugh. Pipe, pipe, pipeline. You know, obviously. <laughs> Sounds Italian. It was not it? a Hawaiian word. No. <laughs> Pipeline was the correct answer. Our favorite one was having visitors come and they said they had this great lunch. Where'd you go? It was a cafe. What cafe? They said Cafe EOO. No, it was Cafe 100. <laughs> cafe 100. <laughs> Trying too hard. Cafe EOO. So that's kind of stuck for us. We go to Cafe EOO. Oh, man. Speaking of language, I want to rewind back to what I had said about racism not being as dangerous as it was in other parts of the world. I still feel that way, but I don't want to say that racism has not been hurtful and violent in Hawaii. Because it has been, especially for older generations, like my grandmother's Mm. generation. Um, I think that whole generation, like period, no matter where you were on planet Earth, was like a bad, violent um, kind of a culture. Mm. Um, So, yeah. Anyways, I just wanted to make that correction. (laughs) There was a time when the Hawaiian language was... Kapu, right? Yeah. So the when Kalakaua was, you know, losing his authority, and after the queen was imprisoned for treason, um, what had happened was the Hawaiian people began to communicate, and they're very politically charged, and they communicated. They had tons and tons of Hawaiian language newspapers. And so this political rhetoric was happening that in a language where the the dominant party at the time um, couldn't understand what was going on. 
So while the queen was imprisoned, you know, she was in prison. They didn't let her have communication. They didn't let her have letters. So what the people did is they wrote songs in Hawaiian. And through those songs, the messages were sent and they were encoded in the metaphors of those songs. And, and you can only really understand these metaphors if you understand the language. And they would wrap her, her flowers. They would send her flowers in prison. And they would wrap her flowers with these newspapers. And they would go through all her mail. They'd take away all her mail, take away all her letters, but they let her have her flowers. And so that's how she was able to read what was going on. And so as the Hawaiian community at the time began to uprise against the provisional government, which was established um, after the overthrow and later became the territory or the Republic of Hawaii after um, annexation. So what they did was they wanted to Americanize the Hawaiian people. And in order to do that, they had to disempower their communication and disempower their identity and disempower their, um, basically their mental and spiritual health. That's, I think any kind of, I have a political science degree, so I've, I've studied colonialism. You know, it's not an uncommon thing that has happened throughout history. Hey, by the way, we have to talk about Sage's writing. Sage, I know you've had many writings published, but I also know that you've got a book of poetry called Honua. Sage, would you mind sharing something from the book? Actually, I think I don't have Honua on me right now because it's in my office and we need to get we need to get clearance to go there. But I have oh, one okay. that one of my first poems that were published. So I'll read the first poem that was ever published of mine in the OEV Journal, Volume 3. It's called Vacation on Hawaii's Big Island. Vacation on Hawaii's Big Island. You're coming to paradise, but don't imagine grass huts on the beach. Extremely modern and sophisticated tents and tarps only. Complete professionals treat you with aloha, renew, refresh, amaze, and deeply touch spectacular, unspoiled nature. Government housing restrictions do not apply. Uniquely nourish the warmth of authentic aloha spirit. Feel the presence of this special place. Natural wonders abound. Please do not feed the animals. Mysteries of outer space touch the heavens atop Mauna Kea. Observatories are closed due to massive snowing. Immerse yourself in an ocean of total clarity, graceful beauty, elusive grandeur, spectacular scenic vistas blaze the afternoon away. Fire demonstrates power. Fury scenes fast flowing underground. Slow tempo of surface flows descend into the sea. 
Next, on Wild On E, Playboy's newest issue features fire goddesses at Hawaii's steamy volcano. Eager visitors flock, dominate the landscape. Fiery glow of red heat crawls. Spectacular Kilauea show. Fertile lava landscapes of lush greenery, cool and misty ohia spring forth and flourish. 17-year-old Keahi Ho'oulu is pregnant with her second child. She dropped out of high school to clean toilets at the breathtaking, fantastic Hawaii Volcanoes National Park open 24 hours every day of the year. Forests of verdant plant life dance legendary hula in the rain. Savior succulent exotic hues of a colorful culture mix that pampers, restores, and heals your body and your spirit. Hawaii's whole culture is based on aloha. And that's a commitment that we take very seriously. And that's that one. Mm, thank you. Awesome. Wow. That was beautiful. That was great. <laughs> Sage has taken the motto of this podcast to new levels, unfiltered to talk about Hawaii. Absolutely. <laughs> that was unfiltered. Thank you. Well, that, that was just a poem that I wrote long, long ago. That's great. And you have a, a a book called Honua on Amazon. Yeah. I noticed. I, I did my research of you. My my research, okay, which Tim. consists of googling. Okay, Tim. <laughs> say repeat after me. When you learn Hawaiian, they'll tell you ho'opili. Ho'opili means to to repeat it. One of the meanings of ho'opili, ho'opili. means to repeat it. Okay. So say ho ho. Nu. Nu. Ah. Ah. Honua. Honua. There you go. Honua. Mm-hmm. Good job. So the, the emphasis is on the O in ho. Honua. Honua. There you go. Pololei. Maikai. Mahalo. I need to get some coffee. Coffee, more coffee, Bruce. <laughs> coffee break. Bruce needs coffee. coffee. Break. All right, Bruce. Well, while you're getting more coffee, this is a good opportunity for me to explain that we receive a small commission if you buy anything we promote or endorse on this podcast at zero cost to you. And we always link those products on our website. What kind of coffee are you drinking? Yeah, I drink Kau Mana, which is 100%. Uh, Kau grown coffee. That's your brand, Mana? What's the story with that? Yeah, Kau Mana. Um, I've been drinking coffee since I was a kid, and <laughs> I just love coffee. I used to be hooked on Kona coffee, but then I tried Kau coffee, and Kau coffee is smooth. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. <laughs> he sounds like a salesman, doesn't he? Yeah, I was... I. I Bruce got me a a bag of his mana coffee 
yesterday. I drank it this morning, and it is really good. And I have a total conflict of interest here because we're going to start selling Bruce's coffee on our website. So uh, <laughs> this is completely biased, but it really is good. And we just thought, hey, Bruce drinks this stuff all the time. He drinks it way too much, actually. So let's give people an opportunity <laughs> to buy that coffee, support Bruce. And Bruce has been so generous. He's going to give five bucks a bag of any coffee he sells to the On Hawaiian Time podcast. Wow. But, so, Where can we find that coffee? <laughs> on HawaiianTimePodcast.com. There you go. In our merch shop. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Bruce. You're welcome. Yeah. Hey, and while you're there, you could pick up an On Hawaiian Time mug. Yeah, you can get your coffee mug to go with your coffee. There you go. Nice. Sage, you, you mentioned Kilauea and Hawaii Volcano National Park in that poem, and uh, that was sort of my first introduction to this island through Bruce and Mick. I, I'm curious as, as to your thoughts on Kilauea and the eruption there, and in particular the 2018 eruption. It just didn't even seem real to me what we were seeing. But that's part it's part of life here on the big island, right? There are so many things to say about that 2018 eruption. That year, so far, Pua, Auntie Pua, Auntie Pua, um, Kanahele, Kanaka Ole Kanahele, she, um, she together with, um, many other kumuhula across the islands created this uh, effort called or the move a movement called the ahahula um o halau ola so what halau ola was um i can speak more about it if we had more time but in a in a debrief halau ola was a consolidation of different halau hula and what what that effort was <clears throat> over a period of some years um different halau visited different uh hula heyao heyao are s- specific um sort of temples that are dedicated um with hula and so for year, a couple years prior, they went to the one on Maui and the one on Kauai and different halau participated. And the, the program sort of ended in Hilo. And what the effort was for Halau Ola is to literally retrace the steps of Hi'iaka Ikapolio Pele, who is one of the younger sisters of Pele. And it's because of Hi'iaka that we we know and we understand the function of Pele and our ancestors' observations of these phenomenons. So the story goes that Pele has a dream about her lover in Kauai, Lohiau. And so she sends Hi'iaka to go get him. Um, Hi'iaka has never been on a journey like this before. So she starts her journey in Puna at this place, this beach called Haena, which you may know of today as Shipman Beach. 
So she she goes there and she learns the hula. She battles this huge lizard, this huge mo'o in Pana'eva. She faces a bunch of challenges on her way up to Kauai. And when she gets there, Lohiao is dead. <laughs> so she has to bring him back to life. So she prays him back to life. Um, and then they take a little while, a little longer to come back. And Pele starts to get impatient. So she starts getting jealous, thinking that Hiiaka and Lohiao are hooking up. And um, so she burns Hiiaka's forest. So Pele is the lava element and Hiiaka is the forest element. So Hiiaka is younger than Pele because the forest comes after the lava. And what's interesting is when you break down the word Lohi, Lohi actually is a word that we use for for a delay, and ao is a period of time. So when you look at the story of Hiiaka Ikapolio Pele, and you can Google it too, um, that is an age-old tradition. That oral tradition is one of the canonical pieces in Hawaiian literature. And... It's been dismissed as mythology. It's been dismissed as legend, um, like like a lot of other Hawaiian stories. And I'm so, I'm so um, blown away that the 2018 eruption happened the way it did, because the way that the story is told, the way that the Hiiaka Ikopolio Pele story is told is exactly what we seen with the 2018 eruption. So the forest is responsible for attracting moisture in the air. And so how do you give life to someone? Well, you need water, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't have life without water. Mm-hmm. So when Hiiaka meets Lohiao, when you talk about bringing someone back from the dead or, or restoring life, you're essentially talking about inundating that person or thing with water, right? Mm-hmm. So we saw Kauai flood. And nowhere between the flood on Kauai and the eruption did you hear civil defense say, oh, hey, guys. Kauai is flooding. Maybe you should go put your shit in storage. Mm -hmm. Because people dismiss the Hawaiian stories thinking that they're just myth or they're just legend. But they're truly our ancestors' observation of what had happened. And their observations were proven to be true in 2018. So the funny thing is, Halau Ola ended the, the hula effort to retrace the steps of Hiiaka Ikopolio Pele happened at the exact same time that the eruption was happening. In fact, the hula halaus who came to visit were not able to perform at the heiau that we had designated for that purpose because the ash was so strong and the earthquakes wow. were so unstable. So we had to push that that part of the ceremony back. Huh. And so you have this, this, 
when people see things like floods or natural disasters, they see it as a negative thing. But the Hawaiian looks at a thunderstorm as a blessing because that thunderstorm is depositing water into the land, which is going to grow vegetation, which in turn is what's going to allow us to live our lives. Yeah, so then anyways, that happened and it was a really trippy event. The opening ceremony for for the closing segment of Halawola was um, at the stadium, at the Edith Kanakaoli Stadium. In fact, they kept the Merry Monarch stage up for us. And if you could imagine, this was, it wasn't like super advertised in the mainstream like it was it was pretty big in the hula community but the opening ceremony like people in the audience were very sparse it was only like really close family members who who came of the dancers but there were if you could imagine the merry monarch stage filled with chanters Mm. and the dancers on the floor of the stadium So the whole tennis stadium surrounding the stage was lined with dancers. Can you guys imagine that? That's incredible. 500 people we did the Ava ceremony for. And it was kind of a rush because we we weren't really anticipating that many people. Um, So we had to get a bunch of things together at the last minute, but... That was the biggest Ava ceremony probably in modern history. So Ava ceremony basically is, um, there's this strength, some people, Fijians or other Pacific Islanders call call it kava. It's a root that's used in ceremony. Um, It has a numbing effect on the body. It's medicinal. Mm -hmm. Um, So while we were... You know, having this ceremony, it was just the week. It was like not even a month after the initial um, eruption at Keahialaka. How do you reconcile how you're experiencing the eruption compared to like Mick and Bruce who are getting in a helicopter each morning and flying over and, and documenting it? Um in more of a journalistic sense? Well, that's a great question. There was, for me personally, um, I did not go. I did not go to see it. A lot of my friends, you know, were, um, I know a lot of people who went and I know a number of people who took helicopter tours. I live in Puna on Kololi. So that's all you heard all day long is just helicopters flying over and over. And I thought about it and we, we were, we were going to do it, but, um, I, I didn't want to go where we were at my house. I could see the glow. I could, I could hear it when the, my son and I were home when the first earthquake came, he was sick from school and, and we had stayed home and the earthquake hit And what's so trippy about all those fissures that opened is being in Puna, I could hear, I could hear it. It went boom. (sighs) 
You just heard that. <laughs> yep. For like sure two weeks at a time. <laughs> and crazy. And I would wake up to the glow. I would fall asleep to the glow because our window, our bedroom window faced that direction. And so it, from my house, you could see very well the the light coming from that area. I find it fascinating mm. the way so many people relate differently to the volcano here on the island. You've just given us your experience. Mick and Bruce are flying over it, documenting it. And then you have other people doing the same, but you, then you have civil defense and the National Guard trying to keep people away from it. <laughs> well, it's sensationalism, right? So people, you have people wanting to come out and then you have people not wanting to leave their homes. And and then you have people, visitors coming or news or whatever, wanting to go and see it because it's such a great phenomenon. And I think that I I wasn't against people doing that. I thought it was really cool. I followed everyone who did it on Instagram. And that's kind of how I kept up to date on what was going on. But because I could see the glow from my house and I could smell the glow and I could hear it, I felt like that was good enough for me. Mm. And I really think mm. that there comes a point when the environment or the element needs its space. Mm. And for me personally, I did not feel called to go into that space. I felt called to give her her space. And so I stayed away. What about you, Bruce? Were you called? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I I think so. Um, you know, documenting Kilauea is—I don't know. I guess it is kind of like a calling. I mean, I I feel this longing to to shoot that activity, um, to capture the beauty, but also the destruction. I mean, it, you know, every aspect of it is really interesting and captivating to me. It's definitely a calling for me. Uh, from the very yeah. first time I saw it, I, I was just completely taken by mm -hmm. it. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. And when I actually got a camera and started shooting it, I found that it was virtually impossible, and this remains today, 35 years later, it's impossible for me to just watch it. I just have this mm -hmm. instinctive desire to document it. I just have to document it. And um, yeah. I don't know why that is, but it's, it's hypnotic. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's uh, destructive. It's in some ways it's ugly, but it, you know, it's, it's kind of like a microcosm of life, life itself. You know, it's, it's light and it's mm -hmm. dark. It's alive and it's not. And it's just, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. L living in Leilani when it was happening was absolutely surreal. Or I should say having a home here. We, we weren't here for very much of it. But we would come and go, come back to our place. And 
it was, you know, you couldn't believe it was happening. You could not believe what, what your eyes were taking in. It was just, and it was so enormous. I mean, we're not talking yeah. about a little, you know, Kilauea outburst or Pu'u'o'o. We're talking yeah. about Mauna Loa size eruption. Right. It was enormous. And um, it was it was humbling. Absolutely. Yeah. Truly was. And that's what Aiha'a is. Aiha'a is knowing your place and knowing that there are elementals that are much greater than you. Mm-hmm. And understanding your relationship to that element. And she's, we, we personify Pele because she has female functions, right? If you look at any volcano, it's kind of like a vagina of the earth. Mm-hmm. Because land is literally being born from that place. Mm-hmm. Yep. And everything that we have on land is then born from from that place. And so it's like when a woman is giving birth, you only want functional people in the space. You know, like you guys had a function. Your function was to document and not anybody can do that. You know what I'm saying? Sure. People can go and visit and take pictures with their phones, but the kind of pictures that you guys pump out, like not a lot of people can can get those photos. Um, and so you had a function there. Whereas for myself personally, I'm a mom of two small kids. I don't belong there. <laughs> you know, I remember interviewing Kekuhi and she... Um, she said to me, I, I asked her if she'd seen the latest eruption, whatever it was, and she said, no. And I said, don't you go to see the lab? She says, no, not usually. She said, I said, you've seen it lots of times. She said, no, I've seen it about a half a dozen times. And I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, that, that would be something she would have seen over and over and over. And she said, no, I've seen it. I've seen her, um, and I don't need to see it anymore. Yeah, you know, people, people kind of, I kind of got that impression too from people. They're like, are you guys going to go dance? You know, like you're the Pele people. Are you guys going to go dance? But I think that part of our relationship with her is knowing when to leave her alone. Yeah. And when to give her her space to do what she needs to do. Yeah. And so we didn't even talk about it at Hula. (laughs) Interesting. The only, the only reason why we talked about it, well, we were also in ceremony too at the time. So what you, the, what you say and what you think during times of ceremony are restricted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even when we are done with Halawola, it continued on and we, we hard, we didn't even talk about it. We just carried on like normal, went to hula practice. And, you know, I'm sure people were wondering, like, is Halao okay, Kuhi going to go and dance? And no, absolutely never even spoke of it. And it's because I think, I can't speak for my kumu, but for, as a hula dancer, I understand that that is her space. And part of and getting into Mauna Kea or Wa Kea, part of understanding your role and your function is also knowing your space, 
knowing what spaces you belong in and what spaces you don't belong in. Mm. And Mm. when you look at that fire spewing as high as it was, we don't belong there. You know, I mentioned to Kekuhi about, um, I said, we refer to it sometimes to Pele as, or Pele's manifestations as the birth of the earth. And Kekuhi said, no, it's birth. And I said, well, the birth of the earth. And she said, no, it's just birth. Took me kind of a while to wrap my head around that. But, you know, speaking of, you brought up um, that it's, she's, volcanoes are like a woman. And the, 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 have you ever been to the Vagina Cave in Orchid, Orchid Land? There's a place called the Vagina Cave. No, but that's probably named after Kapol. Uh, yeah, I think, well, I thought it was Yaka, but maybe I'm wrong. Anyway. No, well, Kapol is another sister of Pele. And the pig so god, right? Yeah. So what happened was Kamapua'a um, was a, you know, the pig man, and he ended up um, taking Pele sexually. <laughs> but I think on a, on a scientific level, that basically means that when the landscape is born, something has to till the landscape, something has to break it open so that the lichens or the ferns can, or the initial vegetation can get water and grow. So if you go to the lava flow, you guys know this, you see the lichens coming out through cracks. And that's what pigs do. Pigs dig and they create cracks. And through those cracks, vegetation can grow. So in order to um, come up while I ran away from Pele, you know, he hit it and quit it. What a guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she's like, what? Oh, and Pele is just not having that, right? She's just like, hell no. So she sends Kapo, her sister, um, and and this form of kapo is called kapo kohelele, the flying vagina. And she sends kapo over to go fetch Kamapua'a, who went back to Oahu to help his brother, whom he thought was, um, he dreamt that his brother needed him and was in danger. So he went back to Oahu. And so the cocoa head in Hawaii Kai is Kapo is where Kapo landed. And the Hawaiian name for that is Kapo Kohe Lele, the flying vagina. So when you do that hike over that crater, it looks like a vagina. So the idea, so the the thing to remember about Hawaiian mythology is when you have these instances, it's like you cannot dismiss the fact that Kapo flew this vagina flew from Puna to Oahu. That is that is not some kinky, weird sexual thing. That is our ancestors' way of telling us, hey man, the eruption that created that crater in Hawaii Kai is related or a result of the volcanic activity that was happening in Puna. Mm-hmm. And the rains that you saw on Kauai, the rains that we saw flooding Kauai, you're adding water pressure, which is very dense, to the Earth's crust, which is going to cause pressure, which is going to cause instability on the islands that are on top of the crust. And the magma underneath it then is also going to be affected by that pressure. Mm. 
So it's really stupid to not take these chants and these stories seriously sure. because if if the if the government and if the civil defense looked into it, they would be able to to know the symptoms. Pregnancy and giving birth, we refer to it as giving birth because there is a gestational period. And people don't pay attention to those gestational signs of volcanism. They think the volcano just pops off randomly. It doesn't. It gives us signs. And, and the chants tell us what those signs are. They tell us they're very detailed. They tell us the sound. They tell us the cracks, where the cracks are. They tell us what kind of rain is associated with that. So if you've lived here long enough to observe the rain, you know that we have different types of rain. We have torrential rain. We have nice rain. We have, you know, sideways rain. And paying attention to the water is very important because Kane, the freshwater, and Kanaloa are also Pele's siblings. So when you see companions or siblings or children or parents in Hawaiian literature, basically what they're saying is that, hey, these elements or these landscapes are related somehow. Somehow rain is connected to lava. Somehow um, the the lava is connected to the vegetation on top of the lava. And so that's why I studied Hawaiian literature. <laughs> <laughs> There's a formation in Orchid Land that I've been to several times, which they, we refer to as the Vagina Cave. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the most, hands down, with the most amazing formation I've ever seen in my life. It, it is literally a, a, a nine-foot-long vagina with, that, is ana- <laughs> that is anatomically correct and is a different color from the rest of the lava around it. There mm-hmm. are two shelves, which could be considered legs, that go from it. And at the bottom of it is a raised platform, like a, it may be actually a heiau platform, with mm-hmm. a, a skylight above it with a shaft of light that comes through that lands on the platform. It's underneath the vagina are three, I think it's three or four rooms that are round with smooth black rock, like mm-hmm. a womb. And it, it's, I mean, you have to see it to believe it. It's crazy. Well- it is so beautiful. You have to take me there one day. Well, I, you know, I don't know if I can get in there anymore, <laughs> but it's, it's, I think it's locked up. But I mean, it's oh. crazy beautiful. Crazy beautiful. I shot mm. it one time and I, I don't know what, if I can still get that tape to play, but it's phenomenal. If you've never been, you should ask around, ask Pua guys if they've been there or if that's something they would never do or I don't know. Sage, have you been to Leilani and seen the eruption zone since it finished in 2018? Yeah, we went We went to, that was the first time in February, we went to Fisher 8. And we danced there in the road for the first time. 
After and, the eruption. Um, yeah, uh-huh. this was just in February. This was like uh-huh. two months ago, three uh-huh. months ago, whatever. Um, that was our first time dancing there, not as a halau, but as Papaku Makavalu, as people who, um, you know, we were committed to observing our environment and figuring out what those observations mean to us through the framework of chant. So what we learned in that Papakumakavalu workshop is that, um, you know, that's why Mauna Kea, and that's probably a whole nother episode, but Mauna <laughs> Kea is, is so important and the fight for Mauna Kea is so important right now because what people need to understand, which I'm not sure if they do, but people need to understand that that 13,000 foot mountain was not built overnight. And so if you guys think that Leilani is done, it's just getting started. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, that's fine, but let's, can we delay that a little bit, please? Yeah, it's, it's for real. I mean, that's just the beginning of a new mountain. Oh, no, I'm sure of that, but it doesn't have to happen yeah. in this century, does it? It probably will. Well, how about not will. the next twenty years? How's that? Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Aren't there still some homes like steaming in the area? Oh yeah. Yeah. Homes and a lot of other things. Yeah. Right. Bruce, Bruce Close wants to where it we to, are. Bruce wants it to erupt yesterday. You know. Bruce, <laughs> Bruce is chopping at the bit. <laughs> Well, the important thing to to understand, and that's why studying these chants is so important, because it explains the landscape and the topography. So um, basically, the lava is fluid, right? So it'll follow the lowlands. So that's one way to prepare. And, you know, honestly, you can sit there and be like, no, don't happen, don't happen, and do your little prayers with your tea leaves or whatever. <laughs> but the reality of the situation is it'll happen. And you need to you need to accept that and you need to prepare yourself for it yeah. by educating yourself on what those symptoms are before it happens. Yeah. Well, it was just a, it was a little unnerving in 2018, you know, it being it oh, came, yeah. came within 500 feet of our property. So, oh, you know, it was a little nerve wracking. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I've been watching it for a long time. So I, I know what I, she, I know what she does. And, and I'm, I'm very familiar with it. But, you know, yeah, watching it is one thing. Watching you go past your house is another. So. Totally. Sure well, is. then you got to go and get all your stuff. We and did. then, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to deal with all the finances. And yep. I know people who have lost their homes. It was really, really sad. Oh, it, was and, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and very humbling. And the, to see their reaction, I work with a woman, Auntie Roberta. Um, Part, her home is still there. I think the neighbor's home is not there. Her neighbor's home is not there. But when she was explaining how she left, she was telling me that um, she the conversation she had with Pele was like, okay, do what you got to do. Take my house. Just let me and my family get out of here safely. Mm-hmm. And so she was telling her they could they were watching it take the neighbor's house. And she was telling her son, like, we got to get out of here already. And he was like, mom, just let me walk around my yard. 
one last time. Sure. And say goodbye to my trees and everything like that. And I'm like crying just thinking about it because, man, to have that um, interaction, that's part, that's mainly, I mean, not mainly, but that's one of the main reasons why I didn't go there is because I, I knew that the people in the area were under stress. And I didn't want to be one of those spectators who just parked my car and watched as they, you know, dealt with whatever they needed to deal with. Sure. It's like you're invading somebody's space, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a personal moment. Right, right. And so I thought, you know, I have friends who live out there and they were sending me updates too, you know. Um, you know, like as it was getting closer to the... Um, geothermal plant friends who lived out there were sending me text messages and um, everyone has really came together and was in really good communication and so I think just the community in general um, grew a lot from that experience and I think it's one of the things that um, is starting to wake people up yeah absolutely Sage thank you so much yeah, um, th- for joining th- us thanks Sage that was yeah, great Mahalo, Sage. another episode yeah, in the for books sure. it's great we shared so yeah. much with us really appreciate it you were wonderful well thank you yeah. so thank much you for, for having me and I wanna I, I wouldn't mind doing this again and have interview questions for you guys Ooh, yeah <laughs> sounds good I like sounds that sounds good <laughs> You guys must have some really um, interesting tales to tell. You guys are the story keepers now, you know? Bruce, it sounds like she wants to put us on the <laughs> hot seat. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. I mean, like, man. Yeah, we'll yeah, do it yeah, again for sure. We Absolutely. have a few. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. You take care. Okay. Thanks, Sage. Okay. Sounds good. Aloha. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks. Aloha. Thank you, guys. Aloha. 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 So, hey, guys, another episode in the books. Don't forget, we're running a contest through May 31st, 2020. Go to on com and click on the contest link. The winner gets a $100 Amazon.com e-gift card. I want one, I want one. <laughs> Not for employees. Oh. <laughs> so you guys want bonus content? Well, go to the very top of onhawaiantimepodcast.com and sign up for our email updates. We'll give you a free trial of OHT Plus through the end of June. You'll hear the bloopers and a lot of other stuff that we're embarrassed to even put out, but we're going to be chatting about <laughs> before we actually start the podcast. I can't believe we're doing this, but um, you know, this is all up to our illustrious producer. And we love you guys. And occasionally we'll give you some information regarding coupons that'll give you discounts towards our merchandise we make available on our website. That's on HawaiianTimePodcast.com. You can also support us by buying some of our stuff including my coffee (laughs) and an on Hawaiian time mug. Click the merch link on our website. 
We want to give a special thanks to Joel Marcus, who designed our logo, and to Jamie at Silver Line Sound. Hey, so if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do it now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us attract advertisers, and we need that to keep this podcast going. I'm Mick Calber. I'm Bruce Omari. I'm Ann Calber. I'm Tim Coakley. And you've been... On Hawaiian Time! Aloha. 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 Aloha.